Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Stefan Cohn in London. And I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. Every week, we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand-in-hand with baking for those we love. Today, we'll see if chocolate-covered Katie's vegan cookie pie fooled us with its not-so-secret ingredient and introduce not one but two veggie-centered treats to send you off in 2019 in a slightly healthier fashion. A beet cake from preheated favorite David Leibovitz and a parsnip and date loaf that uses one of Andrea's favorite wintertime staples, Meyer lemons. And speaking of my co-host, she'll fill us in on her recent New Orleans bakery crawl. What a delicious way to see a city. So put the kettle on and get ready for some sweet talk. Stefan, a couple of weeks ago in episode 107, we revealed the first draft of our 19 for 19 list of baking resolutions. Yeah, so much fun. We promised the listeners that we would give them a final list by the end of January, and here we are Mm -hmm. in the last week of January. We did make a couple of small changes. Stefan, you had listed one of your resolutions as using Mastika. Mm -hmm. And I think you updated that to include a broader regional cuisine. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that change? I did. Well, fortunately, my lovely friend Jayla, who is Turkish, gave me the most amazing Turkish cookbook for Christmas. And she was traveling back from Turkey, so it was a little bit delayed. That's why I didn't have it when we did that first uh, go round of resolutions. But one look through that book, and I just knew I was going to have to broaden my scope because I must have Turkish blood. I cannot stop salivating over these pictures. Andrea, there is about 25 different recipes for baklava, and you know how much I love baklava. Oh, my goodness. Well, you're going to have to book out a very long holiday on your calendar right now because we know it takes an entire day to bake baklava. We do. So, yes, I want to just broaden that and and just give myself a little bit more freedom within that uh, particular resolution. Great idea. And we are still keeping number 19 open, listeners, because like we said a couple of weeks ago, we are getting such great suggestions and ideas from you guys. We wanted to give ourselves a little bit of wiggle room and a little something fun to look forward to. So we'll let you know when we figure out what our actual number 19 is. But I'll go ahead and post something in the show notes and on our social media so you can see our 19 for 19 list. And again, thank you to everyone who contributed ideas to us. Andrea, one thing that we're not tackling this month that I have to say I'm a little surprised during Veggie Month is a muffin. Oh, that's true. We didn't do a muffin. We did pies. We did cookies. Well, cookie pies, perhaps I should say. We did breads. But here comes a muffin. So I was going through my recipe file. As you guys now know, that is a regular weed out. Thank you very much. I'm not letting any moss grow on my recipes this year. I'm regularly taking a look. And one I found, of course, hopped out at me. It is from Women's Day, February 2014. It's a carrot cranberry pecan muffin. Now, it doesn't say in the title, but it also has a parsnip. I know you're going to be talking about some parsnip yummies in just a little minute here. Andrea, is your 
crisper drawer, your veggie drawer in your fridge at all like mine, you have maybe half an onion, a piece of ginger, some carrots, a few peppers, (laughs) but nothing like substantial. I do. I feel like you have a little camera and you're spying into my crisper drawer. Oh, <laughs> crisper cam. When I saw in the ingredient list for this fun recipe that you sent, I saw the cup of fresh cranberries. I thought, oh, I wish I had had this because I was just throwing them in my juice yeah. in the morning and I would have liked to bake with them. But yeah, cranberries were something that I bought in bulk probably around Thanksgiving. They do stay fresh for quite a long time and I wasn't using them. So this looks like a great recipe for using things up. I loved that too. I know we've been talking a lot about food waste and keeping that top of mind. And when you just have those little bits left in your crisper, I think this is a really great recipe because it has, you know, a little bit of applesauce, a little bit of cranberries, one carrot, Mm -hmm. one parsnip, a little bit of ginger. Maybe you've got a little holiday stash of nuts left over and you can Mm -hmm. use them all up in a really nice and healthy manner. So I will post that one. It's just called Carrot, Cranberry, and Pecan Muffins from uh, Woman's Day. I'll put that up on our show sheets for this episode, which is episode 109. But wanted to just stick some muffins in there before veggie month. Bid adieu. Stefan, don't think you're fooling me either. I noticed the very first ingredient on this list was one cup of wheat bran. And (laughs) I know. Oh, I was just trying to sneak that in. (laughs) Just trying to sneak that in. New listeners, you may not know that when Stefan first moved from Seattle to London, she made a little mistake on her ordering (laughs) and accidentally got, how much wheat bran was it? Or was it wheat germ? Wheat germ, six pounds. Six pounds. Six pounds. Is wheat germ? I'm now realizing that's different than wheat bran. Is wheat germ different than wheat bran, or is it the same thing? You know, just for an experiment, because I have so much of it, I might just fiddle around with that. Yeah. When I hear wheat bran, I think of like bran cereal. Yeah. Interesting. Whereas wheat germ is definitely more flaky, a a lighter texture. But that's actually some really good points there. And since I have so much, maybe I'll just whip up a batch of muffins and let you know how it goes. Yeah, since we're talking about using stuff up, you might as well try it. So I thought this recipe was great, and thanks so much for sharing it. And speaking of recipes, let's jump right in and review our deep dish cookie pie from Chocolate Covered Katie. This was a new website for us. We've not cooked anything from Chocolate Covered Katie before. Mm -mm. I just want to go on the record. I love the name Chocolate Covered Katie. I want to be Chocolate Covered Stefan. (laughs) Just doesn't have the same ring to it, though. No, the Katie really does work, doesn't it? It's the alliteration. So, Stefan, why don't you go ahead and tell us uh, how this deep dish cookie pie turned out for you? Well, as you just noted, Andrea, neither you or I have cooked from Chocolate Covered Katie before, but I had it on good authority from a vegan friend that this was a really good resource for vegan desserts. So I was feeling really good about that going in. Yeah. The ultimate ingredient here is right at the top, no missing it, two cans of white beans or garbanzos drained and rinsed. Of course, you can use that liquid, aquafaba, for a variety of uses we've talked in the past. Had no problem gathering any of these ingredients. In fact, I had most of them, if not all of them, in the cupboard. Man, do I love a recipe like that. I had to do a little bit of reconnaissance for the second item in the list. It is one cup of quick oats or certified gluten-free quick oats, but quick is the key word. I tend to use the old-fashioned 
rolled oats. And normally I would just substitute and not think twice about it. But Mm -hmm. back when we made those peanut butter chocolate bars, I had difficulties with a lot of crumbling. And I realized I used old-fashioned oats instead of the quick oats. And I think the quick oats somehow make things stick together more. So I did have to go to the Mm. store to get the quick oats because I wanted to make sure I used that in case that was sort of a key to keeping everything together, especially since there's no – um, you know, butter or eggs mm-hmm. in this. I felt like yes. that might be part of what keeps this particular cookie pie sort of intact. Well, let's see, because I used Quaker Jumbo Rolled Oats. I'm still getting the hang of the different kinds of oats here, Andrea, and okay. what they mean. But those are the ones that I had in the cupboard. So mine were called Jumbo Rolled Oats, and I used 93 grams of those. Then some applesauce, a quarter cup was 74 grams for me. I did some oil. You also have the option of using some nut butter there. Did you use a a nut butter, Andrea? I did. I used a fresh ground almond butter that I can get from my co-op, you know, where they have the machine full of almonds and you just put your container underneath it. So I was happy to use that instead of oil. And one of the one of the guests I was baking this for is does not do nuts. So I wanted to avoid that, which made it very easy. I love when there's options. Mm Mm-hmm. Then some vanilla, soda, and powder, salt, a one and a half cups of light brown soft sugar, and that was 246 grams for me. And then a cup of the chocolate chips. I just made sure that mine were vegan chocolate chips, and I got some really yummy ones, Andrea, online. They were Belgian buttons. Man, I just was eating those out of the bag. Oh, another alliterative phrase, Belgian buttons. I like that. Belgian (laughs) buttons. Belgian buttons. And I got the vegan chocolate chips from my co-op. I will post a link to them in the show notes. You can get them on Amazon as well. I tend to buy them for my friend who is dairy-free. And I don't like yeah. them as much as my regular semi-sweet chocolate chips, but I, I'm fine with them. Okay, yeah. I felt that these were better than, than the ones I've had. So this may be a new thing for me, vegan, yeah. dairy-free, for whatever reason. That also worked for me. So everything gets whizzed up in the food processor. That was really nice. Then you mix in the chips and you pour it into your pan. Now, she says she's calling this a cookie, but to me, this batter seemed more like a cake, Andrea. It was a little bit on the wet side. Did you have an issue with texture at this point? I agree. It reminded me more of a cake, especially the top was sort of yes. wavy. You know how normally you might take a spatula and sort of smooth it out. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of cobbly. I was able to pour my batter directly from my food processor into my springform pan. So that kind of gives you an idea of the texture compared to, you know, cookies where you would normally use something like a cookie scoop. Exactly. Exactly what I did. I don't have a 10-inch springform, so I used a 23-centimeter or 9-inch cake pan. That seemed to work very well for me. And then you bake it for about 35 to 40 minutes. Mine was about 35, I note. And then she does ask to let it stand for about 10 minutes before removing that. That was no problem, actually, for me. It came right out. I thought the texture here was really like a moist brownie. Nothing wrong with that, in my opinion. I will say, however, that because it was so moist, I would encourage you to let it cool or it's going to be too gooey 
to cut. Did you have any issues with maybe thinking it was a little underbaked or the texture was not allowing for some clean slicing, Andrea? I didn't. And I wonder, there's a couple of things I did differently that might have led to that. One is, of course, we just discussed, you use oil and I used almond butter. Yep, so thicker. Yep. a little bit different. The other thing is I cut this recipe in half. So I decided okay. I did not need a 10-inch deep dish cookie in my kitchen <laughs> in January. No. no. Think of the beans, though. Well, that's true. I mean, think of the beans. But I went back to that Food 52 article on how to adapt any, you know, recipe for any size pan. And lo and behold, what do you think is half of a 10-inch springform pan? Is it not as easy as 5-inch? No, of course not. (laughs) It is the 7-inch. And I walked to my lovely shining pantry. I grabbed my small springform pan that I use in my Instant Pot all the time. I measured Mm -hmm. it, and it was seven inches. Perfect. I think fate was telling you. It was one of those days where I was so happy. So it was quite thick in that seven-inch pan, even with, you know, cutting the recipe in half. Okay. It says cook at 350 degrees for 35 to 40 minutes. I thought to myself, well, I've cut the recipe in half. I'm doing smaller, so let me cut the time in half and check it. So I set my Mm -hmm. timer for 20 minutes. I looked at it at 20 minutes, and the inside was clearly not done. I mean, it was okay. Yeah, right. It was very raw. So I did another 10 minutes. At 30 minutes, I did the crumb test. There was still a lot of wetness in the middle. And then at 35, it was done. So even though I used a smaller pan, a seven inch pan, it still took 35 minutes. And I did let it stand before removing it from the pan. Yep. I would say I didn't get the cleanest cuts. I wouldn't say it was overly moist. It sort okay. of struck me more as Almost like a banana bread texture, in fact. Oh, oh, no, that wasn't mine at all. I was going into this thinking I was going to be making sliced cookies, mm-hmm. maybe like a pan of the Toll House, you know, when you make it in the um, the big tray, not right. individually. But instead, it's like one of those hot skillet pies you get. You yes. have to order like half an hour before your dinner is done, and it comes with a big scoop of ice cream on top. That's really the texture that I thought mine was. And once I made that switch, I was fine with it. I would agree with that. And I okay. th- I forgot to ask you, did you use white beans or garbanzo beans? Because she says you can use either. Yeah, I did use the garbanzos. Okay, I did too. All right. Okay, okay. This was put out with a group of children. We had a lot of folks over. It was well-received by vegans and non-vegans alike. Of course, I did not let the children know they were eating beans, and nobody seemed to know or care. It was devoured. I thought for myself it had a mild beanie flavor. We've talked in the past about when we've substituted, say, like a garbanzo bean flour or Mm -hmm. some other desserts, and you can really taste that bean flavor. It doesn't really do it for either of us. I thought this was mild enough. I thought it was a dessert that if I were having vegans over, I could certainly live with and um, would love it with maybe a scoop of non-dairy ice cream on top. Oh, yeah. There's some great coconut milk ice creams out there. Oh, yes. I like this as well. I forgot to say one other thing I did, which was I added in an equal amount of chopped pecans to go with the chocolate chips. Oh, yummy. I love nuts in my cookie. I didn't notice the bean flavor, but I think what I missed, honestly, was just that buttery flavor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking to myself, last summer during our quick bites, I made a pizookie, which was that chocolate chip cookie uh, skillet on the outdoor grill. If I was going to make another cookie pie, I would make the pizookie again instead of making this deep dish cookie pie. It wasn't bad. It just, I just missed that buttery cookie flavor. 
Yeah, I think it's a really great entry into a vegan dessert if that is a diet that you're following. And the fact that you can also make it nut-free is really nice because some people hit both of those categories and it can be a challenge to find something that everyone can enjoy. So I think for what it was and the purpose that it served, I thought it was quite delicious and made lots of folks happy. So it's always really heartwarming to have a dessert that everyone can enjoy. And that is the main thing that I bookmarked this for is our school events, they always ask us to bring nut-free, allergy-free desserts. And I think this one is going to be perfect for that. And like you said, no one's even going to know that it doesn't have flour or you know, butter in it. Um, They're just going to be happy when they see that it's vegan and gluten-free. And chocolate. Indeed. (laughs) (laughs) Well, moving on, this is the last week of our Veggie Forward Eat Your Veggies month. And Don't get used to this, listeners, but (laughs) Andrea and I have made both of the desserts that we're going to be talking about in what we like to call a preheated preview review. So we are going to quickly run down two Veggie Forward cakes or loaves in the last week. Now, we won't be doing a formal review next week, and we do, of course, hope that you bake along as usual and post some pictures, but of course... Once the calendar turns to February, we'll be moving on. Um, Andrea, you are doing a parsnip loaf. Tell us all about how this went and the whole story. Yes. So it is a parsnip date and hazelnut loaf cake with Meyer lemon glaze. And it comes from Six Seasons by Josh McFadden. This is my new cookbook that I'm obsessed with. My husband gave it to me for my birthday. And I am going to use this particular recipe as checking off one of my items in my 19 for 19 to bake 10 new recipes from five new cookbooks. So excellent. You are on a roll. Kind of fun doing double duty here. This is a loaf cake similar to, say, some banana nut bread. Um, but it's got a few things going on that are different. Of course, it has, you know, uh, flour and sugar and eggs, but it also uses half a cup of chopped dates. And I'm not used mm. to putting dates into my loaf cakes. That is one okay. thing that I really like. It uses olive oil instead of vegetable oil. And again, that's oh. not something that I'm used to doing. And yeah. then for the nuts, it uses hazelnuts, which um, I'm also going to maybe put a little check in the box for listener Ruth, who suggested that we bake and season. This particular recipe ticks two boxes. That Meyer lemon glaze that goes on top, of course, is something that is coming out in January. I see all the Meyer lemons. But hazelnuts are something, perhaps it isn't baking in season. It's more about baking locally. Hazelnuts are grown in Oregon. And so it's funny because it's something that is so popular, and yet I rarely use it. I tend to Mm -hmm. default to pecans. And so Mm -hmm. I was really happy that he suggested hazelnut. The other thing I really liked about this recipe is the Meyer lemon glaze he put pepper in it. Oh, first of all, I love the look of it because you have some little black flecks along with, you know, the yellow lemon zest. But I just yes. love that flavor, you know. Yes. And yes. I think it went especially well because it was a veggie forward loaf cake. You use half a pound of parsnips and you grate them and ultimately you're using one and a half cups. So it is a good amount of parsnips. Here's the funny thing. I love parsnips. I eat Mm -hmm. them a lot. I puree them in soups. I roast them and eat Mm -hmm. them plain. Yes. When I pulled this loaf cake out of the oven, the vegetable smell was so strong. 
The cooked veggie smell? Yes. And oh. I remember thinking, oh, this is interesting. <laughs> and, you know, then I sliced into it, and I had those chopped dates in there. I thought it was quite beautiful, the chopped dates and the hazelnuts. Yes. I guess my ultimate review was that it wasn't banana bread. <laughs> and Okay. I hate to be boring, but, you know, when I make a loaf cake, I love my banana bread. I love my lemon drizzle cake. I've got a couple. I love that grapefruit yogurt cake. Yes. And this one was very dense, very yeah. heavy, very yeah. vegetable forward. I think that's absolutely what he's after. And I just think I sort of need to wrap my head around it. I get you. And that's so funny you brought that up because when I made the other recipe this week, which was the beet and ginger cake with cream cheese frosting, and this is actually a recipe from the cookbook Sweet from Odalengi oh. and Helen Go, who I talked to back in episode 80. And it has been adapted by one of our favorites, David Leibovitz, and that's how it appears online. Now, I've taken a look at both of them. It's actually very, very similar. Okay. It's, uh, it's, not, it's not too drastic. But I went ahead and made the one in the Sweet Cookbook. And I think all month, Andrea, the things we've been making have been hiding their veginess. And by that, I mean, you know, in those spinach donuts, you couldn't really taste the spinach. No, you could see it, was it the color. but it still tasted sweet. Or mm-hmm. even in the bean cookies that we just mm-hmm. talked about, it was there, but really kind of in the background. Yeah, if you didn't tell people, they didn't know. Exactly. There was no avoiding the beet in the beet and ginger cake. So, <laughs> same thing with the parsnip loaf. Yes. I mean, you definitely, yes. you might not have known it was a parsnip, but you knew it was a vegetable. So in this cake, one reason you can't miss it is because it is absolutely stunning. The thing I loved most about this cake is that it was beautiful. Mm. You put a very interesting ingredient in, Andrea, and that is the crushed up vitamin C tablet. 1,500 milligrams of vitamin C. And here's what that does. It keeps that bright red color vibrant. So I think that if you were to just bake without it, the color would still be nice, but it wouldn't be bright red. I honestly don't know when I've seen a cake. It looks like a red velvet cake, but it's all natural. It is oh, incredible. What a great idea. Is that something you just picked up like in the pharmacy section of the grocery store? It's funny. The day that I went sourcing my ingredients for this, I said, okay, Stefan, give yourself some extra time. Who knows like what this is? Are you going to be buying the right I wanted to get the 1,500 milligrams. I thought there was probably something important about that yeah. dosage since mm-hmm. they were specifying that. And I just said, okay, you know, pack your patience, give yourself time. I found it immediately, no problems. And it crushed up in my mortar and pestle like a dream. Really okay. easy. Okay. I have those emergency packets that I sometimes yes. use to add to my water. I wonder if that would work. I'll have to take a look and see how much is in there. I think – and. I should double check this, but I think it's the citric acid that might be helping with that. So if it's got enough of that, I think you're probably golden. Okay. Speaking of golden, (laughs) since you said that, I did have to ask. So you definitely obviously used the red beets, not the golden beets. Oh, yeah. And I would do that. I think the cake would be pretty, but I think the red is so arresting. It's really, it's really nice. And so you have the bright red of the cake, and then you put on a kind of billowing uh, cream cheese and ginger frosting. Mm. It's really nice. But it tastes pretty healthy. And one thing that my husband said, which I thought was really accurate, was he said, this tastes like a morning glory muffin. And I thought, yes, it does. Oh, interesting. This is the kind of cake you might like 
at a brunch mm-hmm. or even kind of mid-morning with some tea or with some coffee. But it's not very sweet and it has a lot of good kind of breakfasty, brunchy things like mm-hmm. nuts and the fruits and then that nice cream cheese frosting. The ginger in the cream cheese frosting is great. Mm. I would encourage everyone to do that. It has a lot of ginger in the cake as well. So I thought it was definitely not hiding its veginess. Mm -hmm. And I also thought, Andrea, you know, my controversial suggestion, speaking of banana bread, to wrap your banana bread and not eat it until the next day. Yes. Do that with this cake. It is better the second day. It gets much more moist. It's good cold from the fridge, as you guys know that I like. Yeah. And it also made my frosting a little firmer. So that was the beaten ginger cake. Yeah. Really very similar, it sounds like, to kind of some things that you experienced with the with the parsnip cake. Yeah, and I think I might actually try that one because, as you know from my baking horoscope, beets are <laughs> one of the things that Scorpios like. So the oh, idea yeah. of having a beet in a cake is kind of pretty exciting for me. So I might swing back and try this particular one. It sounds really good. Well, remember, we will have a link to all of these recipes we've just talked about. That was the deep dish cookie pie from Chocolate Covered Katie. And then both of these veggie forward loaves it was the beetroot and ginger cake with cream cheese frosting adapted from sweet by david levovitz as well as the parsnip date and hazelnut loaf with meyer lemon glaze from six seasons a new way with vegetables that will be up on our website in the show notes for this episode which is episode 109 stefan when you think of new orleans what are some of the things that come to your mind well definitely you thank you then let's see Mardi Gras, beignets, Creole food, plenty of adult beverages. (laughs) Yes. Um, Indeed, I have done my share of all of those things. So (laughs) on my last trip home, I decided to do something entirely different and try a bakery crawl instead. Hmm. Of course, here in England, the pub crawl is huge, but I have not heard of a bakery crawl. Yeah, it is just like a pub crawl, only with dessert. So I researched bakeries, I made a list, I planned my route, and I took off. Luckily, (laughs) I had an excellent resource. I had found an article from the New Orleans Eater, and it was called New Orleans Top Bakeries, Where to Eat Sweets and Buy Bread in the Crescent City. And I used that article as my guideline. Could I interrupt you for a moment and ask, what is the delightful sounding New Orleans Eater? Is that a publication? Is it a website? Is it an app? Oh, there is an eater for almost every big city. There's it's really? a it's a oh. website. Yeah, there's a London eater. I know there's a Denver eater. There's a Seattle eater. I love it. Okay, thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah, yeah. I will um, post some links to that. I didn't realize people didn't Excellent. know about the eater. Yeah, they're great. Well, I know one of the problems getting back to the bakery and pub crawl. Yeah. Is with a pub crawl by pub two or three, I'm usually done with my adult beverages. So. How did you hit bakery after bakery and find the strength and the uh, stomach space to keep going? Yeah. Um, Ideally, I think that if you did a bakery crawl with six or seven people, that Mm -hmm. would really be the very best way to experience the bakery's offerings because then you could just order a variety of things and everyone could take a bite of each item that you ordered. But unfortunately, my schedule didn't allow me to coordinate with other people. So I had to tackle this particular challenge on my own. Well, thank you for forging ahead solo. 
<laughs> no problem. Also, while I did ultimately visit eight bakeries, I did not make an attempt to do it all at once. Instead, okay. I visited three bakeries the first day, three bakeries the second day, and hit two on the last day. Okay. Also, I always tried to start the day with a bakery that served some protein for breakfast or end the day with a bakery that had lunch so I wasn't overloading on just sugar. Sounds like a reasonable plan. So start us off. Where did you go first? Okay, on day one, I started in the French Quarter at Le Croissant d'Or on Ursulines Avenue. And Ooh. this is a classic French patisserie that offers croissants and pastries, quiches, cakes, sandwiches, soups. The shop is really lovely. It has a very old world ambiance. The mm. tables are topped with marble. They have a courtyard that has a fountain and bird cages no. and beautiful old tiled floors. In fact, when you walk through the entrance, it is marked Angelo Bracado's ladies' entrance on the floor in tile. Ladies' entrance? I hope you took advantage of that. <laughs> of course I did. Uh, I didn't see another entry, so I had to. <laughs> but I did have to look into this a little bit. Um, Angela Bracato was born in Italy in 1875, and he opened an ice cream parlor in New Orleans in mm -hmm. this same location in 1905. Mm -hmm. okay. And in 1924, he added the ladies' entrance in mosaic tile to the entryway. And that was apparently a common custom of the time. Mm -hmm. So Bricado's grandson, Arthur, who now runs the family business, said, Old Italians did not believe in young ladies venturing off by themselves. They always had to have a chaperone if they were going someplace. <laughs> so Bricado's has since moved locations, but that tile remains. And I think I recall seeing a photo you posted of a beautiful macaroon tower while you were there. Was that the place? Yes, that was it. They really know how to decorate. I didn't eat the macaroons, but I did order a citron tart, a linzer tort, and a Napoleon. Oh, yeah. And mm. all three tasted amazing. The citron tart was probably my favorite, but of mm. course, you know how I feel about lemon <laughs> desserts. <laughs> Always a blue ribbon in your book. Where to next? On to the New Orleans Cake Cafe that was in a neighborhood called the Bywater, an area of town that is up and coming and has some fabulous restaurants. Mm. So I went with the savory here and I got a stuffed bagel. Mm. It had smoked salmon, cream cheese, tomatoes, capers, and red onions, and mm. they were all stuffed inside of the bagel instead of on top. Well, conveniently solving the problem you always have when eating a bagel, which is taking a bite and having everything slide onto your plate. Right? I also picked up some gorgeous striped donuts here. Fluffy, puffy. They had a beautiful glaze on top. Did they rival our baked lemon spinach donuts from episode 108? I think they did. I oh, think wow. they were really, really good. They didn't have the color, the green color, but with the mm -hmm. glaze and the frosting, they had some exotic colors of their own. So they were equally as beautiful. Nice. Okay, two down, one to go. Where was your final stop on day one? Final stop was the Bywater Bakery, and there I got some memorable carrot ginger cake. It was warm. It was spicy. It was full of veggies. And now that I'm thinking about it, very similar to the beetroot and ginger cake you just talked about. Yeah, lots of ginger in that. And of course, you were absolutely on trend. Perfect for Eat Your Veggies Month. <laughs> and another 
aspect of this bakery that I loved, which I thought was very unique. They had a live piano player, and oh. he was just, you know, casually playing some of the best <laughs> New Orleans jazz like it was nothing. Oh. So the atmosphere was so great, and I sat and listened while I drank my coffee, and I just so appreciate the way New Orleans adds an aura of celebration to even the most pedestrian of errands, like picking oh. up a loaf of bread. Yeah, that's so special to know how to relax and enjoy, isn't it? Were you excited for day two or were you dreading it? I was still pretty excited at this point. I was not too overloaded with sugar. So (laughs) I started day two at Breads on Oak, a very unique bakery for New Orleans, but increasingly common in the Pacific Northwest. Can you guess Mm. what makes it so unique? Okay. Is it the whole local food movement, farm to table, vegan? Bingo. It's vegan. And the funniest thing is, is that I did not know that it was vegan. So I walked in. I was one of the only customers. And so I had a great conversation with the lady behind the counter who turned out to be the owner. And I ordered this delicious, light and fluffy pumpkin biscuit. And it had Mm -hmm. a tofu scramble. It tasted amazing. And I ordered tofu all the time. So that didn't, you know, set off any alarms for me that, hey, this is different. Oh, well, and if she's already mastered a vegan biscuit that's light and fluffy, she's going to succeed. Okay, where to next? Gracious Bakery. This local bakery has multiple locations, but I decided to hit the one on Britannia Street. But when I walked in, my first reaction was, am I in the right place? (laughs) Uh Uh-oh, what was going on? It was just very cool, clean, and modern. It was almost like an art gallery. There were white tables. There were high ceilings. There was modern music. It was really the exact opposite of these two cozy, you know, wood-lined, (laughs) plant-filled places I had visited (laughs) earlier in the day. So I was a bit taken aback, but the smell drew me in. Um, Even minimalist decor can't deter me when I smell freshly baked (laughs) bread. I know. Is there any better smell in the world? If there is, I don't know it. Um, And the staff at Gracious Bakery were as warm and as inviting as could be. And I tried some beautiful donuts there and also some black and gold whoopie pies, which I think would be perfect for a saint's tailgate party. And that ended my day, too. Well, I'm full just hearing about this. How did you muster the strength for day three? So I took a slightly different tack on day three, and instead of making my early morning rounds, I planned an afternoon crawl. Okay. So I started at Beth Biondo Suites on Barone Street. This is a combination bakery and gift shop, and it has some amazing modern twists on classic favorites. Mm. I had the pumpkin rosemary mini bundt cake topped with pine nuts. Very interesting. But my favorite was the Satsuma pound cake. Baked in a mini loaf and topped with a light glaze. It was so good. Citrus and mini, you must have been in heaven. (laughs) Indeed I was. And the shop is very relaxing and so calm. The owner, Beth, also has a background in interior design, which is very evident when you look around. You see her decor and Mm. the gift items that she has for sale. I really could imagine you could easily just hang out there for an afternoon with your friend and enjoy yourself. Okay. It's time for the grand finale in your crawl. Where was your ultimate destination? Well, in New Orleans, no visit is complete without some tasty adult beverages. So I finished (laughs) my tour at the appropriately named Bakery Bar on Annunciation Street. Oh, isn't that where listener Adam posted some photos 
recently from a trip with his partner. It looked so fun. Yes, that's right. He did. Finally, a bakery open until midnight. My dream. <laughs> so this cozy corner serves brunch, desserts, and of course, cocktails. I debated between the bread pudding and the vanilla brulee, but I ultimately decided on a slice of classic dobage, the New Orleans cake that alternates thin slices of cake with layers of pudding. Oh, It is one of my childhood favorites, and it was the perfect way to top off my bakery crawl, along with a very modernized rum old-fashioned cocktail. Andrea, I do believe you have forever ruined me for a pub crawl. It's all bakery crawls for me from now on. Thank you so much for sharing this adventure with us, and I can't wait to take our own bakery crawl together somewhere, someday. I know. I can't wait. This was such a pleasure. And of course, I will include links to all of these locations in the show notes. Well, the timer's buzzed, and we've got to get the icing on to this episode. Every week on Monday mornings, we drop our episodes, and next week we're kicking off our third annual Pie Month, and it promises to be our biggest and best yet. This season, we'll try our hand at all kinds of pies, a classic British favorite, a seasonal surprise with an intriguing backstory, a new twist on a desperation dessert, and some award-winning recipes that just might remind you of a listener favorite from our first season. Along the way, we'll have all the tips and techniques you need to master the perfect pastry. Remember, you can find us and our featured recipes on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where we're at Preheated Pod. If you like our show, please do tell a friend and subscribe to our show. And consider ranking and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you download our podcast. Until next time, I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. And I'm Stefan Cohn in London. Thanks for listening, and sweet dreams. Preheated is written, hosted, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stephen Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions. My favorite was when you slipped into your southern drawl and said, I had a slice.